Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. So this idea of reversal, and there's you know, different things you could think about, but I have to tell you, you know, as I've gone through life, I've had really, very many situations which, I mean, they're just, they're bad. I, I, anybody else ever have bad situations, circumstances where they're just like, wow, that's a worst case scenario, or, or you start to feel that way, and we've seen that in the book of Ruth. Remember Ruth, um, as, as her and Naomi came back from Moab, Naomi, excuse me, Naomi, when she got back, she said, don't call me Naomi, because that means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, because it means bitter, and she shared her feelings very openly, and, the, and God preserved them in, in his word for you and for me, because we go through circumstances that are terrible. But as we've been hinting at each week, the farther we get in the story, the more you see that the Lord's up to something. Now, I'm not one. If you call me up today and, you, and something terrible has happened in your situation, I'm not going to be like, oh, don't worry. God uses all things together for good, which, oh, by the way, is Romans chapter 8, 28. It's true. But that's not helpful to you at that moment or to anyone because at that moment, then we're like Naomi. Don't call me, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And so what I will do if you call me is I'm like, we're going to be bitter together because that's how we go through life. We don't know everything that's going on. This is what we've been learning. We can't understand the circumstances as they unfold. Only later do we. And my question to you today is, can you think of things in your life as you look way back? Now, for some of us who are younger, you can't look as far back. But you can even then, you can look back. Can you see something that has reversed, that has turned out better than you thought it ever could have been. And maybe even, you know, if you're like me, I'm not always willing to admit this, but I'll look back at something terrible that happened. I'll be like, well, if that hadn't happened, then these other things wouldn't have happened. And I'm pretty sure these other things were supposed to happen. And you start to have this feeling. But the thing that I want you to find your, your joy in, no matter what your circumstances are, is Jesus. Because Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen from the dead. And guys, as we're going to see today, that changes everything. And, and, and some people will sometimes say, you know, don't, don't we just always talk about Jesus all the time? I'm like, yep, and until I die, that's what we're going to keep talking about. So take a look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 2. Because there's this discussion in the story, you've seen it many times, and we've never really pulled the car over to talk about this. What is a redeemer? You know, this language, a kinsman redeemer is in the story. And a, a redeemer is someone, and a kinsman redeemer just means someone you're related to or connected to by way of the law of Moses. And, and so a redeemer is someone who buys something, right? You, you, you can get, you go to the store and you redeem a coupon, right? Or, and, or you say coupon, whichever you're, where you're from. And so you, whether you're doing a coupon or a coupon, you redeem it. You turn it in and you get something, right? So we already know the word redeem. We, we use it. It's like everyone loves to go on their Apple iTunes and click the redeem button because I mean they got like a card they can punch in the code or wherever you're at. The idea is redeem is this where you're buying something back and, and bringing it home. Right? This is what we do. Look at Boaz. He took, he took 10 of the elders out of the town, and, or of their 10 elders of the town, and he said, sit here. He said, we've got to do some business. Right? This is what you do. This is, you get people together, and they did so, and then he said to the kinsman redeemer. Now, I'm, I'm sort of trailing it off there because they go on and have a conversation, but I, wanted, I want us to highlight this idea. There was a guy who had a duty. See, now we look at Jesus, and he is the ultimate redeemer. He bought us back. 
I mean, he paid everything. You know, and some people will be like, you know, in the 90s, I don't know if this ever, excuse me, in the 80s, a little bit in the 90s too. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of good Christian modern music. There's always been awesome hymns and great stuff. But, you know, there was like, we, we had like DC talk. That's all we had back in those days. And some of you guys are, are laughing. Um, but the idea is there was this one line where they're like, you know, he, he, he wrote a check and it cashed, right? And I always thought that was an interesting line because it captures this notion of a redeemer. Jesus wrote the check and he said, I will save you. You know, they were, they were like, you know, where are you going, Lord, in John 14? He goes, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's writing a check, and, and then when he rose from the dead, it cashed, right? It, 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 it cleared. And, and so, so this, is what, this is what we're talking about with a redeemer. But see, this guy, this fella, he hadn't done everything he was supposed to do. You know, when Naomi came back, he should have already got to work with this situation and started helping her because she, he was related. And um, so Boaz is kind of like, hmm, we need to take care of this. Take a look at verse 13. Because the thing that you need to know is that there are no accidents in anything. There are only gifts. And even Naomi, who originally started off saying, the Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has afflicted me. That's what she started in chapter one. By the end of the story, she's like, well, maybe it's not quite like that. Maybe it's not quite like that. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Remember when, remember when we were just a couple chapters ago and there's this moment when Naomi says, okay, Ruth, you need to go to one of these fields. And she has to go to either Boaz's field or somebody else's field. And it just so happened, is what the scripture says, that she went to Boaz's field. Oh, is that right? And we've learned in the last week that God arranges the exact times and places that we live so that we will reach out to him, which is the way I interpret that is similar to like, you know, in 2 Kings when Elisha is trying to help everyone understand that the spirit is working, right? And he's given, he, he gives the gift so that they can see that on the hillside there are actually an entire legion of God's warrior angels ready to fight for his people. And so I tend to think that as, as, as Ruth was walking and choosing which direction, there was an angel like, you know, and bumped her toward Boaz's field. You know, however, I don't know. That's not in the scripture. That's just Mark's speculation. But the point is, there are no accidents. There are just gifts. And I know if you're like me, there are times when you're like, like Mark, this does not feel like a gift right now. And what about the times when I didn't get the gift and I asked for it? See, we need to be honest about this. Go to your Father in heaven and say, you know, this, this preacher guy was saying there's only gifts, but I'm feeling a lot more like accidents right now. You need to be honest, just like Naomi. Don't call me, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter because the Lord has afflicted me. There are people right now in this room that feel that way. And what you need to do is go to him and put your trust in him. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And we're gonna find out why. But look at this. He says that, he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Now remember, they were put in the situation on the threshing floor last week. We described it as pretty much the same as the backseat of a 57 Chevy. And so you knew what that, that was what the expectation of the culture would have been, but they didn't, it didn't happen that night. Boaz was like, I need to go talk to the town leaders. Let's do this the right way. And this is what it looks like. And they did it the right way, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Now, what we do not want to do is put ourselves into the position of where we do what we learned about a couple weeks ago, which is this idea of the theology of glory. 
The theology of glory goes like this. It puts us in the seat of glory and we suddenly understand everything right. And we're like, oh, well the reason that the Lord enabled them to conceive a son is because they didn't mess things up at the threshing floor. They were good people, so God blessed them. Is that right? What about the Apostle Paul when he was spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and got beaten to within an inch of his life multiple times? Well, where was the blessing then? Or what about the Son of God who was murdered for you and for me? Where was God then? Do you see how this works? If you put yourself on the seat of glory, now we, of course we could all say, well, I, he was saving us, that's what he was doing. Yes, but we only know that because of the cross. We only know that because of the empty tomb. So we don't ever get into a position as we are tempted to, to try to judge and see, oh, see, that's why that happened, and that's why that happened. We don't know. We don't know. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with friends who are young couples, and they've prayed and prayed and prayed to conceive, and it hasn't happened. And so what do we do then? Do we're like, well, is, are you not doing something right? Do you, you know? No. We might feel like Naomi and say, call me bitter, because this is an affliction, and I've prayed for this gift. So we're very honest and we go to the Lord and we put our trust in him because ultimately what it boils down to is Jesus enough because the promise of him to you and to me is that he is. Let's take a look at verse 21 because you need to know that God works through family. That's why it's so exciting to have a family meeting today because this is how God works. Salmon and Rahab, now remember we picked this up from Matthew chapter 1 when the genealogy stated again, Matthew wants to include Rahab in this story. Now if you don't remember Rahab, she was the prostitute who lived in the walls of Jericho and helped the spies get into the country so that they could go and see what was going on. And then she helped them escape as they were leaving. And so Rahab is a prostitute not exactly on the list of the righteous hall of fame, exactly, right? But she's on the list of Jesus' hall of fame, and so this is kind of interesting. She was Boaz's mom. Now, I want you to consider Boaz raising up, excuse me, being raised up in the household of Salmon and Rahab, and them telling stories about the time that the Israelites marched around Jericho and blew their trumpets, and the walls came down. See, Boaz had faith. He had heard the stories. He knew that God was, he was faithful and he would not leave his people to die. And so he believed, even though the circumstances didn't always line up. And that was, that was who Ruth married. And so now you've got both, you've got Boaz and Ruth who have married, and Ruth's from Moab. She doesn't even belong with the people, but he's like, well, neither did my mom, but that's okay, come on home. And they, and they became a family and they had Obed. And Obed, his son was Jesse. And Jesse's son was King David. King David. And we know from Matthew chapter 1, 28 generations later, the king of kings, Jesus. And, and I want you to know that throughout the story of the Bible, from page 1 to the last page of the Bible, it is God working through family. And family, according to the Bible, is not just who you're related to by blood, but by, or shall I say, through the blood through the blood of Jesus, through the blood which covers you and for me and makes us righteous in his sight. Take a look at Acts chapter 13, verses 36 to 37. And what is his work? What is he seeking to accomplish? Resurrection. Because the ultimate reversal is going to be that dead people become alive. You know, so many people think Christianity is about good people, be, or excuse me, bad people becoming good. And when in reality, as we've said so often, Christianity is the story of dead people being made alive. That's what we're here to talk about, and that's what God's interested in. Look at what Paul says as he's trying to teach those guys in the synagogue. 
And, you know, it was Friday night. Here it's Sunday morning, but on Friday night, can you imagine how sleepy you're starting to get, especially this guy, he's yapping and he's moving his hands, right? What's, what's going on? So when David, he says, when David had served God's purpose in his own generations, he, in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's a nice way of saying he died. He died. So God's like, the story of David is a cool story, very powerful, and we should tell it often, but he died. That wasn't where the story was going. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead, that is Jesus, did not see decay. See, and ultimately, this becomes the whole thing. Take all, you know, just take out, get out your, like, your scraper and scrape and sand away all of the religious sort of trappings and set them over here and just boil it down to one thing. What is going to happen with us when we die? And I want you to believe the promise of God that you will be raised, just as Christ was raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, so shall you. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so shall you. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, Philippians chapter 3, we pray that we will be found in his resurrection. Romans chapter 6, when you were baptized, you were buried with him into the tomb, into the grave, and you were raised with him in his resurrection, united with him in his resurrection. This is the promise of God. This is the proclamation. This is what gives us hope. So that your circumstances might be very much Naomi-like right now. Go ahead and call me Mara because it's bitter. I've asked for gifts. I haven't received them. All I feel like is a series of accidents. That's what I feel. That's what I experience. And God says to you, just hold on. Just hold on. Because the story isn't over yet. The story is not written yet. It's still unfolding. You don't know what's going to happen. You could not know. Naomi could not know that her descendant, by way of Boaz and Ruth, would be the Lord Jesus Christ, who would save the entire universe. She couldn't have known, and she didn't know. She, she was pretty excited when Boaz and Ruth had a baby. We saw that. She was like, wow, and Ruth's like, check it out, right? This is awesome, and, and they're both celebrating that there had been reversal in their lifetime, but there's a whole lot of people we learn in Hebrews chapter 11 that never got to see it. They never got to see any of it. They just had to believe they just had to hope, and they got, they got their names written in Hebrews 11 where they got to see like, oh, wow, look at what happened. But most of them only had the promises. Most of us only have the promises. And I'm praying with all of my heart and speaking to you with all of my heart that you will believe them. Take a look at verses 38 and 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus... The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And you're like, Mark, I thought the work of God was resurrection. That's right. But part of reversal, part of turning everything around is to restore your heart. Because if, if you knew that you were going to be raised from the dead, but that things would still be a mess, that there would still be un, uh, un, unpaid debts, if you'll allow that language, what does this mean? Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Proclaimed to you. It was the first thing Jesus did after he rose from the dead. The very first thing. He, well, he actually said, do you guys have anything to eat? Because he wanted to make sure they knew that he wasn't a ghost. And after he's sitting there chowing down on some broiled fish, 
he says to them, now everybody's like, oh my goodness, I can smell the crockpots. But he's sitting there and, there, and he's eating the fish, and he goes, and it's like, I wonder if he still had something, you know, he's like, let me tell you about this. You know, I always wonder that. Now everybody else is like totally irreverent. I don't care. It's Jesus. He is a real person. He is risen from the dead, and he says to them, he breathes on them, which does it mean he had fish breath? I, it might have been. And so he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And I want you to go around and tell people that their sins are forgiven. And I want you to know that if I want you to know that if you forgive them, they're forgiven. They're like not just forgiven because of what you said. They're forgiven in heaven. They're for they're, where the books are written. They're forgiven. And I want you to know. And I want you to keep telling them. And so this is so beautiful because we gather in a place like we're gathered in this morning and I want you to see those blue words on the screen, the forgiveness of sins, and then I want you to look at the green words under them that's proclaimed to you. Every time we gather at praise and worship, there is not a single Sunday that goes by where we don't say this. And the reason we do this is because this is exactly what Jesus did when he was risen from the dead and what he told his disciples to tell everyone else. So I want you to hear me when I say to you, All of your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to conclude in a moment. We're not done yet. Because there's one more thing right here, and I want you to see it. It's the orange word. Through him, through Jesus, everyone who believes is justified. Now, guys, justified is a kind of a church word, whatever. We don't know what it means. It's diakaiosune in Greek. And the way I would translate it to you is you are declared safe by the umpire. You are declared righteous by the Holy One of God. You are declared righteous by the Most High. You are, you are as you always ought to have been. And I know you're sitting there going, that doesn't make sense because I'm still like the broken me. And I know that's the way it feels. And I know you feel like Naomi on a regular basis. But I want you to believe. And the way believing happens is I can't grit my teeth, even though I do believe. But we can keep talking, we can keep sharing God's word, but his spirit gives it to you freely. And if you ever feel like, but what if, but I don't, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve it, then just hear the words of God once again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. This promise is for you. Please pray with me. We pray boldly, Lord, that you would indeed let all of our hearts believe that. I don't care how long we've been Christians. I don't care if we've been baptized our whole lives. I don't care what our situations are. If we're going through this world, then we're hurting. We're struggling. We're having difficulty. And I pray that you would help us believe it again. And tomorrow when we struggle again, help us believe it again. Let your spirit keep bumping us and nudging us to hear your words. Let the promise that we saw in Acts 17 last week about you arranging the entire universe so that we would believe, so that we reach out for you, though you're not far from any one of us, and that we would believe that to be true, and that we would hear the promise again and again and again so that we would keep holding on and keep making it one more day and keep participating you in your grand plan which we do not understand, we cannot understand, but that we would know that you're working. Working not just to save us, but to save those around us. Not just to save those around us, but to save those around them. And not just those that are around them, but those that are to the ends of the earth because this is your great love. And I pray we would believe and trust in your great love as we see it unfold 
through your Son, our Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.